shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Every single spring, that first day that I walk outside and I see that yellow dust all over my truck, I'm like, that is Satan's dandruff. It destroys me. I legitimately can't go outside for longer than three minutes because my eyes get swollen, my eyes get puffy, my nose gets congested, and I just simply can't breathe. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. When I started taking Claritin D about two months ago, I can finally get back outside and play pickleball again, which is what I love to do, but I couldn't do it because my allergies were so bad. Claritin D has legitimately allowed me to go outside again, ready to live life as if you don't have allergies it's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Let's do it. What is good, fam? Welcome to the Human Hope Podcast with your host, Carlos Enrique with Iker Guzman Archibald or Los Four Shorts. We're here to just bring a little bit of hope to humanity. That is what we do. That is why we do what we do. And I'm just grateful that you guys are with us for episode 25. 20 freaking five? Are you kidding me? A quarter century old? 25. What can you do in America when you turn 25 years old? I think you can like, can you rent a car? I think you can finally, I think you can rent a car. I don't think you can rent a car before you're 25. Maybe you can. At least when I was growing up, you couldn't rent a car until you're 25. What else? 25. I, well, I got married at 25. Was I 24? I think I was 24. No, nonetheless, 25. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, so many new listeners around these parts. Uh, round of applause for the new listeners. Uh, I've been getting a lot of DMs on Instagram that you guys are going back to the beginning. And I mean, now you've got like probably 30 hours of content. This is a lot. Um, and today, oh man, we got a lot to get through today. Really like a lot. So we we better get this show on the road. A uh, little catch up, little rewind. A little rewind, that was it. Um, I don't know if, how many of you guys were a part of the Five Marys community coming together with the Insta Familia to raise a quarter of a million dollars uh, <laughs> over the course of two days for the 4-H club, the Plumas County 4-H club in Northern California. Their community was ravaged by the Dixie fire. Over 20 kids in the 4-H had lost their um, homes. They've wa- they watched their homes. They had evacuated their homes. They watched their homes burn to the ground but they save their animals. And real quick, you know, you can go back and you can watch the highlight on Five Marys. Uh, what a great interview that was last week, by the way. Mary, we love you. But go to her Instagram, um, at Five Marys Farm. 
and you can watch the highlight. But we basically raised money so that we could buy these animals from these 4-H kids and then give them back to them <laughs> so they can sell them again. And so, you know, kids were used to selling goats for 1100 bucks. And then Stefa Mila came in and said, nah, we ain't going to sell that thing for, we ain't going to buy that thing for 1100 bucks. How about $15,000 for your goat? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like I laughed just thinking about these kids and like, wait, wait, what? The, the, you know, auctioneers, I had some, and these kids are probably like, what is happening? Uh, so, <clears throat> you know, little did we know that that was the infusion of good news we were going to need as we stumbled into what has turned out to be a very, very hard and difficult week of news, like a, a really difficult week of news. And you guys know, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. We've seen the fall of, of Afghanistan to the Taliban. We've seen the Afghan government um, fall. And it has been heart-wrenching and gutting to see what's been happening. So today, uh, we're going to talk about a couple things. We're going to talk about what's happening. Uh, and we're actually going to go straight to the source. Because I, I don't know about you, but like as much as I do, I trust news anchors. I do. I'm, I mean, maybe to a fault. Uh, but when it comes to things like this, like I don't, I don't want to go to the news anchor. Let me go straight to the boots on the ground, to the source. And not even like an American in Afghanistan. Why don't we talk about like to an Afghanistani, an Afghan. And that's what we do today. We talk to our new friend, Kareem, who um, has his SIV visa. He's here in America. He was an interpreter for uh, the United States Marine Corps on the ground in the city of Kabul and in different regions. Uh, and after years serving as an interpreter, got his SIB visa and was able to come to America. Yet he had to leave his wife, his two kids, his mother, his father, his brothers and sisters. Uh, and we go deep into his story. I just start asking him like, like an ignorant American. I just want to, what was it like to grow up in Afghanistan? Why in the world would you want to be a translator for the American military? And his answer may shock you. Um, but and then, and then what, what's going on with your family right now? Where are they? Um, uh, it was powerful. It was a powerful, powerful conversation. And then what we're going to do is we're going to give ourselves some tools that we can use as humans on the outside of a tragic event looking in and how it is we can maintain our own mental health, spiritual health, so that we can be available for the in the long run, because at the end of the day, like the crisis in Afghanistan is not like this isn't a flash in the pan. First of all, okay, this is hundreds of years. So if, if anybody has like, I know what we should have done better, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you like, no, you don't, <laughs> right? Like I don't, I don't know. Like like there's people that that are there for ten years that don't know. You know, everyone has an opinion, but what I'm saying is like, I'm not looking. I'm not here trying to be like a foreign policy expert. That's not my job. That's not what I'm good at. But what I am an expert at is my own humanity and how to be a good human. And that's what I hope we all lean into um, in this episode, how we can take some very tangible next steps and put them into practice so that we're available for the long run of this conflict. Again, that's where I was going. Sorry, squirrel. I got distracted. 
th- this this conflict has been around for hundreds of years, and we it didn't end, and it's not going to end when the news cycle leaves. So when the news cycle leaves, which it will, the Afghan people are still going to be in need of us and our humanitarian efforts for them. And my goal is that this community is the last one standing. That when everybody else is up and gone and like the next big thing hits and they're gone, we're, we're still there. We're still seeing, because Kareem, we're still seeing his family. We're still seeing his pain. Because when you see somebody, it gives them hope. I'm telling you, just to see him, see me, see him, did something inside of me. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, because it's a lot, guys. It is it is so much, you know, and I actually got into a little bit of a, uh, not an argument, but a, I don't know, vibrant dialogue with a few people on Instagram because I made the statement that we were not created to consume the amount of information we consume on a daily basis. I put a little IG, it was an IGTV video. Yeah, I put it up there and some people didn't agree with it. Uh, and listen uh, to each his own, but some people are like, no, we are, we actually are like, we're very adaptable as humans wherever we, but I'm just thinking like, I don't know, man. Like if we go, actually, l- l- let me play what I was talking about. You know, it's, I, I do find it funny that we're going to talk about how we weren't created to consume this content, but we're listening to this podcast as much content as we're consuming, but we're listening to po- a podcast that's probably going to make us feel a little heavier in the middle of it, but hopefully feel a little lighter by the end of it. But I'm going to play it for you and then we'll, we'll get back and talk about it. You know, the truth about who we are as humans and the amount of bad news that we're consuming on a daily basis is really easy. It's quite simple. This is the truth. Our souls and our psyche were not created to consume the amount of content, good or bad, that we consume every day. So what do we do? Like when there's so much need for movement, for humans to move towards rescuing others, what do we do? You know, we've got the earthquake in Haiti. We've got a Delta variant that's sweeping across the world. We've got Afghanistan and refugees and women and children that are suffering. What do we do? Well, of course, we stay informed. But you have to make sure that in order to help somebody else, you have to make sure that you are healthy enough to help them. There was a study done that shows that the amount of content created by human beings, they called it data, 2021, I'll call it content, from the dawn of humanity to 2003 is the same amount of content or data that we now create as human beings every two days. You know, and and we wonder why it is we have an epidemic and a pandemic of mental illness, anxiety, and depression sweeping the planet. I believe it's because we weren't created to handle what we're consuming. Every single morning we wake up and our alarm clocks are now our phones, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up in the 80s, I actually had this thing called an alarm clock that was plugged into my wall. And all it would do is play Z93 every single morning when I would wake up to get me to school. Now we wake up, we swipe to snooze the alarm and we start swiping up notifications and we consume, consume. Guess what? Another study shows that we now in the first 15 minutes we're awake are consuming the same amount of content our grandparents consumed in a month. I like to call this story stress. And the amount of stress that we're placing on our souls with other people's stories, 
we have to be very, very careful with. My great-grandparents, the way that they would place somebody else's story and place it upon their chest was quite simple. Somebody would have to write them a letter or call them. And that was it. Maybe if they could afford it, they would get the newspaper or hear something on the radio. Then my grandparents' generation, suddenly there was news that every single day they could watch on TV and place other people's stories on their souls. Then my parents, they started getting 24-hour news. We got an answering machine. Now people could leave their stories on that little device on our kitchen counter every single day. Then my generation, we got email. We got the World Wide Web. We're placing more and more story stress on our souls. And now every single morning we wake up, we start the day off with more story stress on our shoulders and souls than my great-grandparents and your great-grandparents ever had in an entire month. So what do we do? Burn all the phones? Throw all the TVs out the window? No. But what I believe we have to do is be responsible for our souls before we try to save other people's. So I had my rant and I actually gave a couple of practical steps that uh, I believe we can take, which I'm going to give you guys on the tail end of this episode. So to turn this into somewhat of a uh, case study in or practicum in taking some news that is heavy and applying some of these principles to our lives to lighten the load. Um, I would like to do something that I honestly, I'm, I'm honored and privileged. And it was a very holy moment that I, I was given the opportunity to uh, have a conversation with Kareem. And I'm going to play this conversation with you guys. And this conversation really, um, more than anything, what I wanted to do is to see him. And I think he felt seen. So I'm going to play this conversation for you guys. It's going to do a couple things. A, it's going to give you, um, like from the mouth itself, like from the ground there, what's happening. Of course, from Kareem's point of view and from his, what he's hearing from his family. Um, but it's also, I think, going to build some empathy inside of you. And for those of you that are empaths, it's probably going to feel a little weighty because you're going to hear the, the emotion in his voice. Uh, but then when we come back after the conversation, that's when we'll put um, some tools in place. But please um, take this conversation and hold it in a very uh, reverent manner. And I also want to thank my friend Jenny. Uh, Jenny Wong is one of the vice presidents at World Relief. She's the one that gave me access to Kareem and his story. Um, she's been on the phone all day long trying to get families into the airport. And Jenny, your work is invaluable. And so I just want to say thank you. World Relief is actually, for me, one of the few trusted organizations that I know. There's a lot, but one of the trusted organizations that I trust only because I trust Jenny so much. I've known Jenny a long time and they're doing it. I mean, they're, they're putting their money where their mouth is. Uh, World Relief is one of the, you know, many organizations that are working to evacuate and resettle Afghan SIVs here in the United States. Uh, and they, they end up landing in 17 communities um, across the United States. So just know um, World Relief is doing the, if you want to go to an organization that you trust, you can go to World Relief 
This is not sponsored, okay? I'm just letting you guys know uh, that they they could use your donations. Worldrelief.org. Um, and you can join their fight there. Uh, not only are they obviously working in Afghanistan, they're working in Haiti. Haiti's been forgotten in this whole thing. This just happened. Uh, and Haiti's like, oh, hey, what about us guys? Well, World Relief is still there as well. So check them out. They're the ones that gave us access to Kareem's story. So I just want to shout them out for a second. Um, and then now, without further ado, let's enter into this incredibly gripping uh, but heartfelt conversation with our brand new friend from Afghanistan, Kareem. So I am on the phone or the computer here with my new friend, Kareem. Uh, Kareem, thank you so much for spending some time with the Human Hope listeners. Uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know uh, just a little bit about who you are. Just- thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, you're doing this and you, um, this is really important that people know what's going on in Afghanistan. So tell me a little bit about Kareem, about your time as an interpreter. I work, I work for the U.S. Marine also for that couple, that couple months it was. Okay. And did you, did you form good relationships and friendships with a lot of the American military men? Oh yes. Uh, we had a really nice team. Um, uh, whenever we were working over there, they were, uh, they were, so nice people, and we also cooperating with each other like a, all the time. Uh, we were like a friend mostly in the environment. Uh, environment we are working over there. You you were and, friends. Uh, yes, like we are working as a friend. Like uh, uh, everything, like we do, uh, we 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 never feeling like we are tired always. And so, um, as you would translate. Uh, for the military, the Marines, and things like that. Did you, when you went into that job, did you go into the job thinking, this is a way that I could possibly move myself and my family from Afghanistan to America? Was that part of maybe the reasoning, or was it just a good job? It, it was, It was basically, I was, um, I was uh, wondering what's going on in uh, those areas, whenever uh, the U.S. forces are going over there. To see how the people are talking about those situations, if it's that true or not. And also, I, I was not uh, imagining I'm going to come to the United States. Um, but um, uh, at the end of my work, I find out, okay, there is a way we can file some uh, uh, forms and then we're going to approve and then we're going to come to the United States. That's a chance. So, which is, it was, it's perfect. Whenever you go uh, to another country, Basically, um, you're going to, to find out their culture, their behavior, their the type of their living, um, what they use, and so whatever. Like you see, everything is new for you. Tell me a little bit about Kareem about uh, growing up in Afghanistan. Tell me a little bit about your childhood, um, your family, sis, brothers, sisters. Uh, just about what it was like as an American. I have no idea what it was like to grow up in Afghanistan. So why don't you tell me a little bit about that? So, yeah, um, I grew up in a, in a, a pretty much big family. Uh, we're uh, 12 people in a house, five brothers and five sisters. Um, we're, like, growing up, um, not like the United States. It's not like something like you go to school, everything is ready for you. You just go and sit and... Uh, you have computers and you have laptops or whatever <laughs> right. that the school gives it to you. Uh, or there's a lot of things like you have to do it by yourself. Like you, you have to buy it and stuff by yourself. 
and there's uh, if if the fa- family or the father like the household of the, the, the father of the family yes if they can if they cannot provide you that's the the study stuff so it's really it's hard for you to learn stuff over there too and um yes we're um living like 10 kids in one home like one home like two three houses or uh, three rooms or four rooms uh, we were living together and um yeah we had a nice childhood we had a nice childhood over there but whenever you grow up you understand more the situation and then you feel like more uh, in the, 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 the situation you understand it, it, it keeps you more pressure it keeps you like okay there's something wrong and you have to do something about it so so when you were when you got older and you started to realize wow maybe maybe my childhood could have been better maybe my child could could yes. have could have been you know a little different yes, exactly that's what you're saying yes exactly and and um oh, uh whenever i come that's what that was the reason actually that was the reason whenever i grow up a little bit uh, and then i find out okay there's not only my country right here in this part of the earth you know like uh, there's other uh, other people we have to you have to go and find out and then you have to know about them too so that's why I was interested a little bit to go work with the Marine, U.S. Marine, and then uh, U.S. Forces, and then come work with a different after, uh, different uh, office of the U.S. Forces. That's why I got that, um, a vacation, uh, and then I come here. Wow! Wow! So tell me, Korean. It takes. It takes. Go ahead. It takes about a couple couple years to. Um, uh, you like to process all your approval, co- uh, approval and stuff. That way, uh, you you get here. You 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 grow up and you're and you see. Okay, wow, there's a chance to work for the U.S. here, and I can find out a little bit more about their culture and about what's going yeah. on. W- what were some of your hopes for Afghanistan? Like when you started to to um, work with the military, what were some things that you thought? You know what? Um, maybe maybe the army and the military being here can help my country with this. What were some of the things maybe that you hoped for Afghanistan? I, I was hoping that um, the situation, the, the security situation, uh, it, it go better day by day uh, by um, U.S. Uh, presence over there, like the U.S. forces presence over there in Afghanistan. But um, it's, uh, I, I saw one over day by day, I know and understand more and more and more. And I find out no, it's it's not easy, um, easy job, and there's it's need more people, more other uh, countries to uh, work with Afghanistan to have more better, uh, secure place for people over there. And um, I understand now, um, like um, I come here more to uh, if I cannot, if I can, if I couldn't go to the school and uh, get more education over there. I could um, send my son or my daughter to school, and uh, they have more education, more than me, and um, and they can uh, they can do more better things to my country. And uh, uh, also, we're working uh, with the U.S. Uh, forces. Um, in order to, in future, we were thinking like maybe we are gonna be have more better relationship with the U.S. and. Um, uh, it's going to help us to work together in that part of the um, region. 
So it it was it was a thought that maybe the U.S. would be there a lot longer to help um, things. Yes. Be, yes. Okay. Yes, we were um, by by the time like the the last uh, couple uh, months, like it's getting worse situation, like the security situation in Afghanistan. Nobody, nobody was thinking like it's it's gonna happen like this. Um, I, I myself personally, myself, I was not thinking. Never, uh, I was not uh, thinking like the uh, the government is gonna fall out and then the Taliban come and take over the rule over there in Afghanistan. Was was there? This is very helpful to me. Um, you know, a lot of what we're hearing in, in the media is, well, you know, all the last president and this president, uh, they knew that the Taliban would take over at some point. But was that the thought in Afghanistan with the Afghan people that, oh, they just know that once military leaves, the the Taliban would take over, or was was the thought, no, we have built our democracy, we built our government, and the government. Is going to stay and protect. Um, well, this is a nice question. I mean, beautiful question because um, nobody w- was thinking that um, our president someday he was thinking maybe the Taliban and coming and taking over the rule and then ruling the Afghanistan. Right now, uh, everybody was thinking, okay, this is the law we have. Everything, the system we have is working good, nice. But we have more. Um, we need more uh, honest people over there, not like uh, uh, people that betrayed everybody, everyone in Afghanistan. Wow! Like President Ghani, nobody's nobody's happy because of, because of him. And um, and um, everybody like whenever the Taliban take over the Kabul city, uh, everybody was like shocked. What happened? Everybody was like. They had they had really a strong belief if the Taliban comes to the city they're gonna fight against them. A lot of people, like 90 90% of the people, every city. Whenever you go to the cities, the big cities, the small cities, it doesn't matter. Even villages, you go over there. They were they were they had the curse. They were they were had the the, the, the curse. They were saying like uh, whenever the Taliban comes to the Afghanistan they're gonna fight with them. But um. We see the last couple of months, the day by day, the village, the the, the uh, provinces, they were um, uh, they were invaded by the by the Taliban because they were with no fight. Yeah, it's something something was really strange. It happened to Afghanistan. Now it's it, we we are thinking like we are lost. Wow. So you, you, yeah. everybody, you, you're saying that 99% of people in Afghanistan believed that if the Taliban came to the cities or the villages, everyone was saying they were going to have courage and they were going to fight and they were going to. And so there was a belief that that would happen, but that's 100% what did not happen. Yes, that's exactly what I was trying to say. Wow. Well, um, yes. Even though, like my family is over there right now, um, uh, thank God they got to the airport right now with the U.S. forces. Right now they're safe. Uh, right now, but before that, um, like two days ago, um, I I wasn't sleeping. You see, uh, my bed. <laughs> I never go. Sh- yeah, that's that's what happens. You know, I never go eat food and stuff. I was worried about my parents. They're still there. Were there. So so what happens is yeah. So tell me, tell me two days ago. So tell me, you know, as we're recording this, it's Wednesday, um, the 18th, but. 
Monday and Sunday when you're seeing everything fall. Take us back into your story a little bit as a as a family member that's living here in America, but has family members there. Tell us a little bit about your, what happened over the last few days with you and how worried you were and maybe um, your family's journey from, oh my gosh, Amer- the Americans are leaving and up until now when they're finally safe in the airport. So two days ago, uh, I wasn't thinking anything wrong is going to happen because nobody informed us it's going to happen like this. It's wow. Like, it's going to come take over the city. Uh, no, nobody. We were, we were not like we were not thinking like the Taliban is like um, maybe they're like a uh, couple miles away from the city. Nobody knew, and always the President Ghani was saying like, uh, "Oh, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that, we're gonna fight with them." He's not gonna leave the country. He's gonna fight with them. This is the President and, of Afghanistan. Yes, yes. But once, um, yes. That same day, my 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 family was they had a flight from uh, Kabul city to Dubai and Dubai, uh, United States. That on that day, same they... day the Taliban, same day the Taliban attacked like 15 of this one, exactly this one. They attacked to the Kabul city, and um, they whatever they say. Oh, I was I called my wife. What's happening? Where are you guys? Are you guys get to go to the airport? Are you guys close to the airport? You're gonna go there. I see that she, she's my wife. She was like screaming, like a lot of people. They were rushing. Is your wife They're there? Running. Yes. My wife and my children are over there. They they're happy. Uh, uh, happy that they're. Uh, I mean, uh, hopefully, they're not uh, in a bad situation right now. They're with the U.S. forces right now in Afghanistan, but they're still over there. Okay, so I'm sorry I interrupted you. So go back. So your wife is videoing you, or? Yes, and uh, she called me. She was crying. She was. I was like, "What's going on?" She was like, "Everybody's running. There's shooting all all around. Uh, like the Taliban is coming to the city. And there was like people rushing everywhere. They were scared. They were scared. Right, really terrible. It's it, it was it was like uh, something." Um, End of the day, end of the earth, you know, like something that, that, that you cannot even express that much, you know, like uh, you see that end of the resurrection day. Yes. It's like, exactly like that. Wow. It's, happen, it's happening to all Afghans. It's not only me or my wife or my family. It's happening to all Afghans. I know a lot of people like in Melissa, a lot of people like right here. They're coming right here. Believe me, they're crying. They didn't, they didn't eat food. They didn't do anything like that's because we're not thinking like it's gonna happen the second time. Yeah. So, yes. so did your family just like when they when they hear the Taliban's there, just grab whatever they can from their house and just try to start running towards the? Were they going to the airport? Were they going to the hills? Where were they going? They they were going to to toward the uh, airports. They didn't know knew what what's happening. Whatever they they had, uh, they see on their hand, they just take them. Maybe. Um, my nephews and my niece there um, over there too and then they're grabbing them they just was running uh, toward the airport what family members of yours right now um, are over there right now so it's uh, there um, the SIV program it's different like for us uh, whatever we 
uh, file that part we we have to or we can only do for our, my family only. It's not for my parents. It's not more for my brother. It's not more for my sister. It's not more for my anybody else. So just myself and my my wife, my kids. That's so, it. So that's I have my parents are still over there. And so that's I have my parents are still over okay, there. Okay, so your parents are still there, but your parents, um, they can't come based on your SIV. They cannot come based on my SIV. Okay. No, it's that's a system for Afghans, and there's um. Other Arab countries, they do whatever they uh, go work with them. They can, uh, even without their filing for the SIV program, even they go through that pro- the, the SIV process, they are just um, being called and saying like, okay, the, from, the, from the authorities, American authorities, they were saying, okay, grab your family, come to the base this day, and we're going to go to the base. That's it. But in Afghanistan, it's different. Totally. Oh. You have to do whatever you do for yourself. Wow. Not for your parents. Wow. That's 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 makes it more. That's makes the the situation for Afghan uh, SIV or um, interpreters or whoever work with the for the US. They they make the situation. This situation is getting worse for the. Got it. Got it. Got it. So so for the interpreters, is there is there. Is there hope for you? I mean, do your parents want to leave the country? Does your external family want to? Leave? Yes, they are. They are because um, um, you see, like last two days, um, there was a lot of thousands of thousands of thousands of people they're running from the country, and even though I don't know if if you see it, the the clip, the video clip, the Afghans they they holding the the airplane, the plane, yeah, the airplane. Whenever the plane goes up, they. Falling from the from the plane down, there. Wow! And a couple, a lot of people died because of that. And tell me, tell me, Kareem, what would you? You are an Afghani. You your heart beats with their heartbeat. You know why they would do? Why would somebody want to leave that desperately right now? Because they have the experience. The the whatever the last time the Taliban came, they're using. It's not whatever they, the way they're using. It's not the way the Islam says. They're using Islam like really hard way. Like the oh my god, it's, whatever they in the Quran, they they misuse it and then they use it really hard. On the yeah, they know already if the Taliban comes this time, it's not going to be easy for anybody. Wow, that's why they they're going to run from there. They would risk their lives yes. rather than stay under the Taliban. Yes. You see, they 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 just hold on to the to, to the airplane outside of the airplane. It's yeah. not inside, just outside. And then whenever the plane go out uh, up, they fell down. I saw and they, that. They, they, they die. I saw that. Yeah, that's that's really yeah, that's really hard for people. They they cannot tolerate. Whenever people are there saying, yes, if you go there, everybody say, oh, we are with the Taliban now. But their heart, they're extremely they're. Finding a way to escape from there—that's that's that's the, that's the main thing over there. And um, my family, my family was trying to go to the airport, and there are thousands of thousands of people right now behind the gates of the airport. And then the government—I don't know if they're 
exactly. There, I think there's like a Afghan government, their police over there. Yeah, they're shooting on the people, on the regular people, not normal people. They just because they want to run from their escape from that country, they shoot them in front of the people like that. Yesterday, my wife was saying, like, there was a there was a body um, uh, in front of the gate. Was nobody was coming and pick it up, picking up that body, that body. They just left it there. Yeah. So as of right now, it's your wife and your wife and kids are inside of the airport now with U.S. military. Yes. Okay. So so you've had contact with them. Yes. And then and then it's not it's not easy. You have to like um, wait for maybe like hour or two or one once a day. You can contact them. It's not easy to contact them even with them too. Okay. Okay, and then so what? What right now is the process? Is she just waiting for a plane to have an opening? Yes, and she's worried about her family too. Um, her mother, her brother is outside the airport, and they're waiting for the uh, for the soldiers to open the gate for them. Let them in. Oh, okay. Yes. So, so her but, uh, her her family is trying to get into the airport right now as well, but they're outside. Yes, my the family the same. My family the same. Everybody is the same. Everybody is the same. And and do they think? And and I mean, do you know that if your family comes in, is there going to be a way for them to possibly get out of Afghanistan? Yeah. And what it, what is that way? If it's not through the SIV program, what what's the way that they could get out? So now, now I see uh, there's a um, couple more ways. Now the government they they, they make those ways easier for Afghans. The even U.S. They have, government. If they don't have, yes, even they if they don't have uh, SIV program or if they're not citizen or if they're not uh, uh, if if they don't have any documents to uh, process their SIV or something else like they have they can uh, they can put their um, passport number. And data but all those information, their personal information, send it right here, um, and then they will process that. They will ask those people to okay. come to the airport. That way they pick them up. Okay. But it's really, really, really hard to get to the airport too because they're they're shooting on the people. They're yeah. like uh, alarmed. I don't know what's that shooting for. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So right, so right now, then your your immediate family is on the inside. Your extended family is on the outside. Um, and your hope is that they all get inside so that they can be under U.S. protection and then get on a plane to get out of Afghanistan. We just want to. We just want somewhere to be safe. Yeah. We we don't want like to you know like be killed by something like it's not the way it is your life. Yeah. Yeah. What? Um, first of all, thank you. Thank you for sharing this with me. It, it's it's very valuable for people to. Just hear from someone like you and not a news anchor that doesn't know and yeah. doesn't know the culture. Um, um, what what can what can people do for you right now? Like 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 people that are listening that are thinking, what can I do? What can I do? What 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 is there? Just pray. Is there? What are things that people can do for you? Yeah, just pray. I just hope that people pray for my people, for everybody in Afghanistan right now, or. Um, other thing like they can they can ask um, President Biden to do something about Afghanistan it's not it's not a good way to leave them like that yeah. they're human too yeah yeah they they're are. human being too they are so uh, they, they 
we are powerful in the world, so we um, need have uh, we need to help those people in that region too. Yes. And um, yeah, that's it. Okay. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully everything be okay and yeah. back again. Yeah. Well, we uh, we will very specifically pray for your family that is outside, specifically to get inside the airport. That's that's the first thing. And I would love to, you know. If you could keep me informed as to when you find out that your mother and father uh, and siblings are inside the airport, I would really appreciate that um, so that, you know, I'll be thinking uh, about you because I feel connected to you now. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. I am so grateful that Kareem shared his story with us. And that story wasn't meant to sway your opinion up, down, left or right but simply so he knows that he is seen. We see you, Kareem, and we'll keep seeing you. You know, with the weight of everything right now, we're going to go into a section of the podcast just for a few minutes where I'm going to give you guys 10 tactical things you can do. Uh, When we're hearing and spending our days consuming nothing but stories like Kareem's. And those tools are going to be beneficial. But I'll be honest with you, if um, if you are not in therapy in, in some way, shape, or form, on a somewhat regular basis, I don't care if it's twice a year, once a year, once a month, um, you will be better for it if you do. And if you've ever been a part of and listened to any Human Hope podcast episodes, you know that I really, really believe in one uh, online therapy in particular, and it's called BetterHelp, betterhelp.com. Guys, what's amazing about BetterHelp is, again, this is an online counseling service. Licensed, certified therapists online waiting for you. Um, You guys, you can send a counselor a message anytime. You don't have to go into a waiting room. You don't have to worry about somebody seeing you at your therapist's office. Uh, And they're available all the time. You can send them a message. They'll get back to you. Uh, Whatever you guys may be going through. Again, even in this season, it would be really valuable for you to find somebody to talk to. And I know a lot of people... It's hard to find therapists that you even trust, right? It takes a lot of therapists rely on referrals. They're not like advertising and really good therapists are full. But what if I told you that you could right now at betterhelp.com, find a therapist that is ready for you. It's convenient, professional, affordable. There's tons of testimonials on their website. Now it's not a crisis line. Okay. So like if you're like in the depths of despair, it's not a crisis line. But what it is, is a therapist waiting to talk to you anytime you need. This is what I'm going to give you guys. Again, 10% off your first month if you go to betterhelp.com slash human hope. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash human hope. And it's it's real. I'm telling you, I've done it myself. Um, and the therapists are great. So go check that out, guys. Um, 
So now here we are. Let, let's put some application to what we've just done. We have just heard a really heavy story. We've just heard from a man who worked for the U.S. Marine Corps as a native Afghan and was given this visa, this SIV visa. Now, for those of you guys that don't necessarily know uh, what the SIV visa actually is, it's a, it's a visa that's given to workers that work for the military. Now, there's 18,000 Afghans that have applied for and really been approved these SIV visas that are waiting there right now to get out. So that's how many just of the visas are waiting to get out. That's why like, it's so daunting. It's such a daunting task to think 18, get 18,000 people out of there on airplanes like in a few days. And it has to be done by August the 31st. It's a lot. It's a lot. And, and to hear these numbers, right? This is where we're going to put some application here to hear these numbers. Not only 18,000 SIVs, but there's 50,000 dependents, kids, wives, husbands that they want to get out as well. It can get so overwhelming. Let's multiply that number. There's 2.2 million Afghan refugees that are seeking asylum in neighboring countries. Uh, They're forced to flee from their homes. And it's some 550,000 Afghans have now been internally displaced in the country since the beginning of the year. You, you add that to 2.9 million Afghans already internally displaced at the end of 2020. It's, it's so much to even think about. So how do we come together? Well, again, we pray, we give. But what we've got to really do is take care of ourselves so that we can be here for the long haul. The long haul, this is a marathon. Life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And your mental health is so important. If you sit and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll on your phone, consuming, 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 you will not be able to step into your role that I believe God's calling each and every one of you guys to step into. And that is the role of being his hands and feet and rescuing others. But we can't do it if we are handcuffed to whatever device that is causing us mental illness, that is causing us mental health issues. So how, how, do, we, how do we break it? How do we break the habit? How do we stay informed without having it be a detriment to our soul? How do we stay informed without wanting to stick our head in the sand? Um, you know, it's, it, was, it was actually called at the end of 2020, um, Doom's Scroll. It's called the Doom Scroll, okay? So Ken Nelson, an associate professor at University of Minnesota, he literally said, this is the Doom Scroll. And he says, the human brain is always on the lookout for threats to our safety and well-being in order to prepare ourselves for what's to come. When we read upsetting news, the threat response is activated. This is crazy. This can be helpful if it helps us to be aware of true threats to our safety and health and motivates us to work to address and respond to that. That's why it's so tempting to scroll page after page because our brain perceives that we are doing something essential 
and productive by reading these threats. Isn't that crazy? And then she goes on to say, however, our brains did not evolve to access information in this manner and to this extent. So information overload can contribute to overwhelming amounts of stress. It can also lead to other significant mental health problems like anxiety or panic, depression, insomnia, and self-harm. So we've just heard his story. What do we do? We act on it and we realize that we ourselves can do nothing more than what we are capable of doing. We can't bear the burden and the brunt of Kareem's story. We can't do it. So what do we do, guys? How do we do this? Well, let's get real practical for a second. If you find yourself as a doomsday scroller, first thing I'd like you to do is to honestly set aside like a realistic time frame that you're going to spend scrolling. Okay? So, I mean, what does that mean? Well, literally give yourself chunks of time throughout the day. Like give yourself 15 minutes to catch up on Twitter and the news and then put your phone down and maybe in a few hours, catch up for another 15 minutes. Something that I do that was super helpful. I was consuming all my news on Twitter. And what I do is every single time I use Twitter and I'm done with it, I delete the app off my phone. Now, does that mean I don't use it again the rest of the day? No. But guess what I have to do? I have to reinstall it back on my phone in order to catch up on Twitter again. Every time I finish Twitter, some of you guys, it's maybe Facebook, some of you guys, maybe Instagram. Every time I finish on Twitter and I only give myself 15 minute chunks, I delete it off. Guess what happens? Next time I reinstall it on my phone, I'm like, man, because I don't have passwords I remember, so I have to open up my app that has my password and the double security and yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, some days I'm like, you know what? Forget it. (laughs) And I have found that deleting apps off my phone and only giving myself certain chunks of time and then having to reinstall the phone, the, the apps really helps me. Okay. So set aside a time frame. That's number one. Number two, start really thinking and like um, processing the thoughts that come up in your head when you're doom scrolling. Okay. We're going to call it doom scrolling again. So just begin to evaluate what you're thinking about. So As you spend time like evaluating the negative thoughts that pop up, what I want you to do is to literally slow your reaction to the bad thoughts. That means like when you get them, reflect for a second, just for a second, like, okay, what triggered me? What, what, what's happening? What, what, what headline, what tweet, what is causing the most anxiety? Because right, like we know the headlines and the tweets and the storylines that cause the most anxiety. So examine what that instant reaction is. Okay. Like, like what, what do you do? Like, do you, do you immediately like lash out? Do you immediately like withdraw whatever it is and then try to change it. Okay. So examine whatever feelings that are coming up when you're doing the doom scrolling. It's number two, number three. I love this one. Try like just a 20 second prayer. Really, seriously, 20 seconds, boom, bam, it happens, okay? If you stop and you pray, close your eyes, focus on even breathing. I mean, you can even meditate if you don't pray, okay? Whatever you want to call it, I pray. I pray to Jesus. And when I do that, anytime I'm going through on my phone and I start to feel unsettled, bam, I'm just, I pause and I pray. I do it, 20 seconds. 
Science even shows that prayer helps balance your serotonin levels. So pray, give it a shot. You don't have to be a professional. You don't have to go to seminary to pray, okay? God listens to unseminary trained prayers. All right, here, here, this is a big one. I talked about this one already. I talked about this one on my Insta, Insta IGTV. Make sure you don't sleep with your phone. Lord have mercy. Sleep with your spouse, okay? Don't sleep with your phone. Keep your phone in another room at night. Don't sleep with it, okay? When, when you're going to bed, read a book, read a magazine, read a newspaper, but don't read your phone. Now, I don't even know the amount of studies that there's done about how bad it is for us to read our phones before we go to bed. Put it in another room. Now, what this helps with is in the morning, you're not going to wake up and pick your phone up. But some of you are thinking, well, but what, how am I going to wake up? An alarm clock, like an actual alarm clock. Remember in the 80s? We didn't have phones. In the 90s? Maybe maybe the 90s. But we, we went and we bought those things that go next to our bed that wake us up. That's all they do. We don't pick up on our alarm clock. I didn't pick up my alarm clock and like start swiping on it when I was in high school. No. Buy an alarm clock. Don't pick up your phone in the morning when you wake up. Actually, I've gotten so good that I don't look at my phone for an hour and a half. Boom sauce. That's right. So don't pick up your phone in the morning. Okay. Make a solid effort to wake up at the same time every single day and actually eliminate technology for the first, I don't know, hour of waking up. Like that way, when you have breakfast, guess what? You're just having breakfast. You're not having breakfast with a thousand people that want you. You're just having breakfast. You're just eating eggs. It's awesome. So don't go to sleep with your phone and don't wake up. Buy your phone as an alarm clock. Buy an alarm clock. Big one here. Turn off your phone's push notifications. Turn them off. This has been the greatest thing for me and the most frustrating thing for my family and my friends. Why? Well, because I don't know when I get messages anymore. I actually, in order to know if I have a text message, I have to open up the messages app on my phone. And sometimes I'm like, oh, wow, there's like seven people in the last two hours that have been trying to get a hold of me. Well, guess what? They can wait two hours for me to open up my messages app. I get no more push notifications to my phone, except actually on Live 360 when I track my kids, okay? But that's it. So no push notifications. Like in the early days of smartphones, actually having notifications made you feel productive. But I'm telling you these days, they are unnecessary and they're triggering. Okay, so turn them off. They're distracting. And they, honestly, they make you feel that something's urgent when it's really not. Turn off notifications. Okay, now we're going to get outside the phone. Make time to get outdoors. Make time to, get, to, to do something outside. It's so important that we get outside every single day. A lot of you guys, you're not outdoors people. I promise you, you are outdoors people. You just haven't done the outdoors right. Get outside. Some people call these like my sunshine walk. Whatever it may be, make sure that during the day you're spending time outside in the fresh air. It's really, really helpful. Honestly, there's a therapist that um, I heard of that says that your nervous system can better recalibrate when you're in nature. And I believe it. Okay, being exposed to daylight can really help regulate your mood. Get outside. The next one, get creative. Okay, make sure that you're taking a part of your day where instead of watching the news and scrolling your phone, do something that like stimulates your brain, okay? Do a puzzle, um, 
I don't know. What else? What else will you do? Thumb wrestle with a coworker, color a book, do do something that doesn't involve consuming media and stories. It's so important. Read a book like a story. Remember those things, books like with paper that you'd pick up and do that. That's what I do now when I get in bed at night. I read a book. So make sure that you're doing some creative activities. Um, another one, set time to talk with humans and make the news off limits. Something that I love to do is to find friends of mine that voted differently than me, that are on the other side of the aisle than me when it comes to politically and just have a conversation about, I don't know, how horrible the Atlanta Falcons are or whatever my heart is yearning for, but not about news. Talk about other things, okay? Find your friends and make sure that you set time every single day to talk to family and friends about something other than the news. Trust me, it is possible. And I promise you, you're likely not the only person struggling with this doom scrolling thing in your friend circle. So like, take some time, reach out to your family, reach out to your friends and like actually ask them how they're doing and then listen and then maybe go, go have a beer, but, but don't talk about the news. Okay. Number nine, this is, this is a big one. It's a big one. This, this may trigger some of you guys, but maybe cut down the number of accounts you're following. Hey, if you got to unfollow me, unfollow me. But I try to do this all the time. I try to keep the accounts I follow under 350 right now. Where am I at right now? Right now, I'm actually not doing a great job at that, but I like to keep it under 350. Right now, I'm at 450. And so you'll end up hurting people's feelings. Trust me. I've unfollowed people and they're like, why'd you unfollow me? I was like, well, like, I just, I want to like cut it down the amount of content that's coming in. So you just kind of clean it up. Like, like make a list of things that you enjoy and that you want to learn more about and then find those people and follow them. But, but also make a list of things that trigger you and make you feel horrible and unfollow them. And then also like people that you may enjoy following. It's not like they're talking about the news, but if they make you judge yourself, unfollow them too. If you're like jealous, unfollow them too. So just make sure that you cut down the number of accounts you're following. Literally just the number. And then last but not least, dead serious, cut off looking at your device at least an hour before you go to bed. That's right, an hour. If you know your little sleepy eyeballs are going to shut down at 11.30, that means at 10.30, no more phone. Okay. Now, if that's too hard, make sure, you know, cut it down 30 minutes before bed and then slowly get it to an hour. But I'm talking about like, I'm not saying open up your laptop and watch, you know, stranger things. No, everything. No more. Technology literally impacts sleep quality in so many ways. And when you stop doing that, when you, when you start cutting it out an hour before bed, um, you are going to feel so much more refreshed. And all of these things really help accelerate your brain's healing and your serotonin levels balancing out when the world is just attacking us constantly with bad news. Bad news is important to know, but just read it once a day. Oh, here's a bonus one. Number 11, subscribe to a thing called a newspaper. I subscribe to a newspaper and I couldn't believe this happens. There's still a human being at some point early in the morning before I wake up that drives by my house, maybe in his Trans Am and throws my newspaper on my lawn. And I have my robe on and my coffee mug and like 
leave it to Beaver's dad, walk out and pick up my newspaper and read it in the morning. And that is where I get my news from once a day. Now I can read it all day long, but that's it. And if something happens later that day in the news, I promise you not much is going to change before the next day. That's, that's it. Read your news off the newspaper, not off of Facebook. Oh, here's one more. Sorry. I got, I, I keep having another one. If you're going to read a story online, make sure you don't just read the headline because what media companies want to do is they want to suck you in with the headline and they just want to, they, that's like the triggering thing, right? And they just want clicks, but inevitably every single time you read a, like a crazy headline, you start reading the entire article and even they can't help but give you the facts. And so a lot of time the facts aren't going to be as scary as the headline. Headlines are a lot scarier. So make sure you're reading the entire article. Oh, those are free because this podcast is free. Uh, and hopefully you guys just take a few of those things. I mean, I would recommend old 10, but if you can't pick three or four of them, implement them. And I promise you things are going to start feeling a lot better. And you're going to be able to be in this marathon called life because the, the, there's not the, the news isn't going to get better. I pro, I'm just, I'm sorry. Like, like the world is broken. Okay. And we have to make sure that we're able to maintain um, our level of health, especially mentally when it comes to how much we consume guys. Thank you so much. Oh, friends, uh, Kareem. Thank you so much. Jenny over at world relief. Thank you so much. This has been such an honor to be able to have this conversation with you, Kareem. We're going to be praying for you, Kareem. Uh, make sure you guys, uh, leave a lot of comments uh, under this post, if you go to my Instagram, I'm going to post about my conversation with Kareem. Kareem's going to read them. He's not going to let people know who he is, but he's going to read all the comments. Make sure that he feels the love on that Instagram post that you guys go there. You just comment, let him know that we're thinking about him. And uh, I just thank you. I thank you so much. This is a little bit of a different episode, I know. Uh, but I thanks for thank you guys for hanging out until the end. It would be really, really, really kind of you if you would please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure that you leave a review for the podcast as well. Um, five stars if you love it. Five stars if you didn't. <laughs> that really helps get the word out about the podcast. And let me know, like, who are some other guests that you guys would love to be on the show? I'm so excited that we're 25 in and a thousand and twenty-four podcast left to go. I'm all in, guys. I will see you next week from Nashville, Tennessee. This is Carlos Enrique Wittiker Guzman and Chibokabeo saying, don't let your life live you, but live your life instead. See you next week.